All right, we're continuing our study of the book of Romans. We're going to go Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Very excited about today. Very excited. My little sister sent me a meme this week. I want to show it to you. All right, uh, pop that up. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but it says, my emotional support dog, after I tell him all of my problems, he's like, you're sick, you need help. <laughs> you know, And that's kind of the way I know it would be for me if I had an emotional support animal, all right? And if anything is true of the American people today, it is that we are fraying emotionally. I mean, you're seeing mass shootings in Christian schools, Dollar General, supermarkets. Uh, people are going crazy on airplanes. People are going crazy at school. Uh, and we see on the news every night, you know, the professor that got shot on the North Carolina campus, you know, a murder-suicide not that far away in Allen, Texas, just this last week. A national poll was recently done by the American Psychological Association. Listen to this. It was called Stress in America. 76% of adults <clears throat> said that the future of our nation is a significant source of stress for them. 73% said mass shootings are a significant source of stress. And I don't know about you, but I, you know what? You go, to, you go to a restaurant, you go to the movie theater, you go shopping anymore, you have to have your head on a swivel. You're always thinking, could this be the day? And yes, it creates a lot of stress and anxiety. 69% of Americans said that the economy and, the, and inflation are a major source of stress. Absolutely. When you lose 20% of your buying power in one year, maybe two years, that's an enormous amount of stress. And 68%, listen to this, said this is the lowest point that they can ever remember in our nation's history. Wow. And you think about that. I, I can remember 1973, 74, and 75. Yeah, I remember those years. They were hard years. And people saying this is the worst they can remember. And listen to this. An alarming number of adults reported that stress has a, a, a profound effect on their day-to-day -day functioning. 27% of adults said that most days they're so stressed they can't even function, one-fourth. But if you're a parent, listen to this, 46%, almost half of the people who are under the age of 35 <clears throat> said that they are, most, they are so stressed every day they can't even function. You know, moms and dads, that really shouldn't surprise us because we need to understand the realities of stress and, and pressure and anxiety. And there's an inverse proportionality. The smaller your body and your mind are, you know, your, your central nervous system, the greater the effect that stress and anxiety and pressure have on you. You know, the younger you are, the more likely you are to crack under pressure. So Romans chapter 8. You know, the Apostle Paul possessed an enormous intellect, perhaps the greatest mind that the world has ever known. And you could make the case that Romans chapter 8 is the most pivotal part of the most monumental piece of written literature ever in the history of the human race. Uh, you know, if you read carefully Romans chapter 8 with an open mind, what happens is you're, you're just kind of swept away into this panorama of God's grace and goodness and, and just his power on behalf of those of us who believe. And so today, I want us to see this, that in a world of stress, and conflict and chaos, Romans chapter 8 is a source of emotional strength. And we're starting this off today with a title, Life and Peace. Life and Peace. Now, as we've been seeing these last few months, 
walking through Romans, there's some tough terrain here. There really is. Uh, first seven chapters of Romans, Paul kind of explains the, the problems that man is facing in incredible detail, that mankind is in rebellion to God. Mankind is hostile to God in a battle with sin that he cannot win. And had Paul stopped there with chapter 7, we would have ended in misery because he ended that chapter by saying, O wretched man that I am. But in his next breath, what we call chapter 8, he sets the tone for a massive transition to victory. And he forges in your heart and mind this unassailable hope and confidence and assurance. And when you reach Romans 8, you're kind of reaching the summit and you see the vista of God's glorious grace and the panoramic view of the full effect of the the work of Christ on our behalf. And it begins those incredible words. Look at verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the Greek here is a strong negative. It means something like this. There's not even one bit of condemnation for those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus. The salvation that Jesus offers you and me is so complete and so powerful. We can never be condemned. Acts chapter 13, Paul said this as he was preaching there. He said, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. That, that is so incomprehensible. And Paul spends the rest of the chapter explaining the awesome implications of it, laying out in, full, in front of us the, the full ramifications of what we call justification by faith. Justification meaning you are declared innocent of all your sins. You are declared righteous by God. And so salvation is not merely believing something, but salvation is becoming someone. Through faith in Jesus, you receive the very life of God in your own flesh. And stop and think about that. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You are freed from sin and death. You are adopted into God's family. You are empowered to live a life of victory, and you are guaranteed the glory of heaven. That is what Paul is telling us here in Romans chapter 8. So, picking up in verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature or the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right? Please kind of catch that. We don't live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Look at verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Wow. Now, 
Look at verses three and four. It says, God sent his own son in the likeness of flesh to look just like you and me to be an offering for sin. You know, so many people are trying their best to keep God's law. They may not call it God's law, but it's a natural law that's been imprinted upon our own hearts and minds. We want to be good. And so many people are trying to be good and they're trying to follow a code, uh, a law, a covenant, a doctrine, a pillar, whatever it might be. It's all the same. It's all the same. No matter how devoted and committed we may be, we simply do not have the ability to reach God in our own goodness. And Paul says, why? The law and the code is powerless in our lives because our flesh, our flesh is so weak. And only a man, well, God saw our hopeless condition and he sent his son to be one of us so that we might be one of him. And in the likeness of sinful flesh, what does he mean there? That Jesus Christ was at the same time both fully God and fully man. And only a man could pay for man's sins, but only God has the power to keep God's law. So it was a hopeless condition except for one thing. God became flesh. And Jesus was able to keep God's law perfectly. He led a sinless life, but he laid down his life as a sin offering to pay for the sins that you and I could not. Philippians chapter two, the Bible says, Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be held on to, but he gave up his place and emptied himself, and he was born as a man. You see, Jesus was a sin offering. We didn't need a teacher to teach us how to live better. We didn't need a guide to show us another path. But Jesus was born, lived a sinless life to be a pure and perfect offering for your sins and mine. And our sinful world, think about this, took the world's most innocent man and condemned him to a cruel and barbaric execution on a cross, the death penalty. It is that bad for us. We are that bad. And by doing so, Paul says, Jesus condemned sin humanity's defiance to God, hostility to God was revealed for what it is. You see, what we do is we lie to ourselves all the time. And you'll hear this in movies all the time. You know, well, people are basically good. You know, men, men and women are, are, are basically good. But God knows the truth. We are not what we wish we were. And we are not what we tell ourselves we are. And when we condemned the sinless Son of God to the death penalty, that was the death penalty for sin because it revealed sin for what it was. Now, Staff and I were talking earlier this week about a situation, and I was telling him about one of my real heroes in the faith, a guy named Charles Stanley. He was the associate pastor at First Baptist Church Atlanta back in the early 1970s, and he became the pastor, and he served for 50 years as the pastor of that church. And he was all over TV. This is back when I was really in my formative years as a, as, a, as a really fully devoted Christian. I was listening to Charles Stanley, reading his books all the time back in the 90s. But he was all over TV. Uh, he was listened to by hundreds of millions of people on radio and tapes every week. And he wrote all kinds of books. And he started out as the associate pastor 
at First Baptist Church Atlanta. Well, their pastor retired, and he was kind of asked to preach to kind of fill in while they searched for a new pastor. Well, most of the congregation, pardon me, were kind of the elites of Atlanta. And they were kind of getting used to getting, you know, throwing kind of the soft underhand tosses from their pastor in the pulpit there. And they kind of liked it that way. And Charles Stanley comes along. I mean, he starts throwing the heat low and inside, right? Okay. And there were a lot of people who loved it. And the church began thriving. New people were flooding in. There's new life, new energy in the church. And a big part of the church began to ask themselves, why are we looking for a new pastor? Charles is the guy. Well, then a group of powerful people in the church, they hated what was happening and they hated his preaching. It was too hard. It was too hard, right? And so the debate raged on for months and this powerful group in the church began to tell Charles Stanley, we want you to withdraw your name from consideration of pastor of this church. And he explained, he said, I really believe it's God's will for me to kind of keep my name in the running as the senior pastor. And as he became more and more popular, as time went on, he kept preaching in the pulpit and it kind of became inevitable. And so that group of people began to try to derail him and some wealthy businessmen came to Charles Stanley. They made him a very, very generous financial offer to withdraw his name and just kind of say to the congregation, God's told me to move, all right? We want you to leave, in other words. And they were having a business meeting. Oh, he said, by the way, he realized he was in a battle for the soul of the church. And so he told those, those businessmen, he said, no, I really can't do that. That's just not the right thing to do. I want to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to obey God, which is his life message. Obey God. Well, uh, they were having a business meeting one night, and someone stood up in a business meeting. They made a motion. I make a motion that Charles Stanley withdraw his name from consideration as our pastor. And so he told the people, he said, I don't believe it's God's will for me to withdraw. He said, but I believe that God speaks through the people. He said, and so let's put it to a vote. If the congregation votes and feels like it's, I should withdraw, then I will. Well, he was so popular, the power faction knew they didn't have the votes. And so a man came up and said, I want to speak to the church. And he came up and like, you can kind of use your imagination, you know, Charles Stanley standing over here. And this man standing over there kind of behind the little lectern. And he said, I just want to say one thing. He said, if you're not careful, Stanley, you're going to get yourself hurt. Then he wound up and he punched Charles Stanley in the face in front of about 300 people, knocked his glasses off. His glasses went flying across the room. And at that, it was kind of one of those Chris Rock, Will Smith kind of moments, you know? Everybody's like, <gasps> you know, just all the oxygen left the room. You're like, what just happened? What just happened? And I'll never forget, I was listening to him talk about this at a conference one time, and he said, at that moment, the group that was opposed to me revealed their true nature. And at that moment, they lost. Then they knew it, and they all got up as one, and they walked out of that business meeting, and they left the church to never come back. And then he was voted in as the pastor, and the rest is history uh, the church just really took off, began thriving, became one of the most important churches in America, and he was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention two different times. So that's the kind of dynamic that Paul is talking about here, that Jesus condemned sin. He revealed its true nature. And so we want to take heart today because Jesus condemns sin. He does not condemn sinners who trust him as their Savior. 
And I just have to ask that today. Have you truly trusted Jesus to be your Savior? Have you been willing to admit, yes, it's worse than I think. It's worse than I want to admit. Things are worse than I might imagine. And where do we see that? We see that in our emotions that we feel. And Paul explains to you and me why we should follow closely Jesus as Savior and Lord. Number one question is this, what is your baseline? What is your baseline? Your baseline is your starting point. What is your starting point for making decisions in life, for just living your everyday life? Paul is telling you and me that there are two baselines in life, the flesh and the spirit. Look at verse four. He said that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, anytime we see that word flesh, we automatically start thinking about our minds drift toward things that are, you know, sensual or or sexual. But flesh is all of our passions, all of our priorities that run contrary to God. Here's a good definition for you. The flesh is a compulsive inner force inherited from the fall, which expresses itself in a defiance to God and his righteousness that makes it impossible for a natural man or woman, to genuinely love, serve, and glorify God. That's what the flesh is. By the way, in the first seven chapters of Romans, Paul mentions the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, one time. In this one chapter, 39 verses, Paul is going to mention the Holy Spirit over 20 times. All right, it's like a complete reversal of perspective. When a person trusts Jesus as their Savior, The Spirit of God takes up residence in you. Why? Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, that is a game changer. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says your body is a temple or a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. And the awesome implications of this are so far-reaching, it's beyond expression. Words fall short, as Michael said a while ago. When the Spirit of God lives in you, the very nature of your existence is transformed completely. In Ezekiel chapter 11, the prophet Ezekiel was looking forward, prophesying about a day when the Spirit would come and live in people. And he said, God is going to take our hearts of stone and give us a tender heart of flesh. And he says that those are going to be the two major divisions of people in the world. You know, we live in a world today that desperately tries to divide us in every way possible. It's race, it's gender, it's sexual preference, it's political affiliation, your class, your income, your education. There's one overarching distinction amongst all the human race. Are you living according to the flesh? Are you living according to the spirit? Are you living in the flesh? Are you living in the spirit? It's the starting point of our lives. Is it going to be the flesh? Or is it going to be the Spirit? What will be your baseline? Every person has to choose every day which of these two powers they will live under the influence of, the flesh or the Spirit. Number two, what is your guideline? Number one is what is your baseline, your starting point? Number two, what is your guideline? A guideline is a principle you live by that guides your future course of action. We all have guidelines we have to live by at work. What do they do? They guide our future course of action. 
And we have guidelines embedded in our minds that guide our future actions. Ladies and gentlemen, they've come from our family of origin. They come from our culture. They come from movies. They come from books. They come from our peer group. And when you think about your attitude, your mindset, your outlook on life, what is it? It's just a jumbled mass of guidelines there lurking inside your mind. Look at verses five and six. Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. Those who live according to the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. And notice what Paul is doing. He is zeroing in on our thought life, the mindset, the guidelines for our thinking, and the importance of the guidelines for our everyday thinking cannot be overstated. Notice Paul's perspective here. The key difference between people's lives is what their minds are set upon, what each of us sets our minds on. And I don't know of any endeavor in life that is more important than having our way of thinking transformed. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't get your guidelines from the world around you, but be transformed by a new way of thinking. This is the defining factor in your life and mine, is what influences your thinking. Is it your family of origin? Is it your culture around you? Movies, books, uh, blogs, uh, something you see on social media, something you see on cable TV, whatever it might be. What is giving you your guidelines? What's determining your future decision-making? Every day of our lives, we have to make this choice, the guideline of our thought life. Will we set our minds on what the flesh desires? Will we set our minds on what the Spirit desires. And as we said a moment ago, we have seen that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection reveals that sin and the flesh has been condemned because it's so corrupt, it's so wrong, and it's so misguided. Colossians chapter 3, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Here's the hard part for you and me. And I say, and I say you and me, I mean me, right? I really do mean me. Just because the Holy Spirit is resident in your life doesn't mean he's president of your life, you know? To live according to the flesh means to allow the flesh to be like the CEO of your life, okay? It's really not, you know, Jesus take the wheel, it's less take the wheel. What does the flesh want in life? The killer bees, there are five of them. Number one is beauty. Everybody wants to be beautiful, handsome, appealing, alluring. We spend billions of dollars and billions of hours every year trying to make ourselves more beautiful, more glorious. The other one is bucks, all right? What does that mean? People want money, possessions, and we peel our skin off every day trying to get a little bit richer. 
because money gives us comfort, conveniences, pleasures, and most importantly, status. It's this time of year in the NFL when everybody's holding out. They want a new contract. They say, it's not about the money. I just want to be respected because my money gives me status. I'm the best in my position in the NFL, and I want, to be, I want it to be proven by how much you're willing to pay me to play that position. It's all about status. The next one is brilliance. People want to be noticed. Noticed for what? They want to stand out for their looks, their intelligence, their talent, their skills. People gain their, will give their right arm to gain influence and prestige, to get a following on social media. There's just this passion in the human heart to have some degree of fame, to be seen, to be known, to have influence. So that's brilliance. Next one is bliss. You know, that, that feeling of, of pleasure. People want to enjoy themselves. They want to have fun. Absolutely. But it sometimes feels like the world is entirely committed to this one singular purpose, which is just pleasure or just bliss. We're constantly hounded by, you know, buy this or do that, and then you'll really enjoy life. You'll find bliss. You'll find the ultimate pleasure. And bliss, it seems, is like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. No matter how hard you look, it's always so elusive. And the last one is the buzz. You know, most of the people in the world aren't at home in their own headspace. They're too uncomfortable there. They want to escape their own thoughts and minds. And so they use chemicals to get some kind of an escape. You know, last year, Americans spent $150 billion on illegal drugs and $250 billion on alcohol. So you can kind of do the math there and realize it's almost half a trillion dollars just to get a buzz. Half a trillion dollars just to get away for a couple afternoons, you know. Going to get an 18-pack of Coors Light and just get away from it all for a little while. Wow. The average American household spends $554 a year on alcohol. Like, well, that doesn't sound like much. The average American household spends $115 a year on reading materials. Hmm. One-fourth. One-fourth. You say, well, Les, what's wrong with, what's wrong with some pleasure? What's wrong with a little bit of money? What's wrong with having influence? What's wrong with having some fun? Absolutely nothing wrong with all those things. But you know when the bees become killer? There's honeybees and there's killer bees, right? <laughs> you know and you know when the honeybees get mutated into killer bees? You see, there's nothing wrong with those things unless that's all you want and you want it all for yourself and yourself alone. James said it this way, don't you know that making friends with this corrupt world order is open aggression toward God? So anyone who aligns with this bogus world system is declaring war against the one true God. <clears throat> this is what the scripture is trying to help you and me see, that there is another way of doing life. There's another perspective on life. It's life viewed according to their spirit. Paul says, set your mind on what the spirit desires. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I know what that means. You know, it means you forget about making money, forget about having fun, forget about having any kind of friends or influence, all you do is go around memorizing Bible, memorizing Bible verses, reading your Bible 14 hours a day, singing hymns, go to church eight times a week, 
You wear weird clothes, you talk funny, and you have to call people you don't know very well brother and sister. You know, that's what it means to be a good, committed Christian. But if you see someone like that, or if you are someone like that, you discover reality. That's not living in the spirit. That's religion. And religion is this dead flesh creating its own version of spiritual life. And in reality, the Spirit of God guides you and me from death into life. Look at verse 6. The mind governed by the Spirit, by the flesh, is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. I want to change verse 7 a little bit to make it more accurate to the original language. The thought life governed by the flesh is death, but the thought life governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Wow. Just real quickly, I want to end on this today. When I was a boy, my dad had a, a 1970 Chevy pickup. It looked a lot like this one on the screen, okay? Very, very similar. And I'm kind of dating myself here, but back in those days, when you got in that old truck, uh, there was just an AM radio. There was no FM AM just an AM radio. That's all we had. And I remember my dad listening to country music and so he'd turn on that radio. There'd be lots of static and things like that. It wasn't really good sound quality. But I want you to think about this for a moment. You know, that AM radio signal, it carries a lot farther. FM radio signal, it's higher quality and less static, but only carries about 100 miles. AM radio can go around the world. It can go thousands of miles. And my dad kind of lived an AM radio life, you know? Really good over long distances. He was strong, he was reliable, he was always there. My dad got up early every day, went to work in his Chevy pickup, you know, listening to country music. He loved his wife, he cared for his kids, he was well-respected. We went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday. My dad had an AM radio kind of life because from a distance, you know, over time, you know, a lot of good effect from that. But when I was in middle school, I had an uncle, and he was cool. And he got, in 1977, he got the Smokey and the Bandit Black Trans Am. Woo! I don't mind telling you, man, that thing was sweet. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> it had AM and FM radio and a cassette player. Oh, my goodness, it was so cool. Yeah. Kids, look up what cassette players are. You guys who are younger, under the age of 30, Y'all look up what cassette tapes are, okay? But listen to FM radio. And man, I get in the car with my uncle. I mean, we're listening to rock and roll, you know, and I'm driving around the car with him. Man, it was so, so cool. My uncle, man, he, he partied. He stayed out late. And, uh, you know, he got in trouble with the police every once in a while. He had a smoking hot girlfriend. He moved in the house with him. Really cool car. He's living that FM radio kind of life, you know? Really great in short distances. He had a lot of fun. For a little while. But then everything kind of started to fall apart. And I don't want to go into a lot of detail about that, but I just want you to know that my uncle, who I love very much, has lived a very, very hard and in many ways very sad life. Very sad life. See, when I was a kid, I really wanted to be like my FM uncle. You know, I really did. And, you know, I thought about fast cars, having a lot of fun, a lot of money. And as I got older, I watched so many lives get crushed by that FM kind of trans-am lifestyle. 
And I realized that my dad's AM lifestyle over time, over distance, brought much more joy, much more pleasure, much more influence, much more bliss in that AM lifestyle. Here's what I want you to see as we leave today. You and I cannot simultaneously listen to AM and FM at the same time. We have to make a choice. Am I going to listen to the AM station or am I going to listen to the FM station? And I know a lot of us don't even listen to radio anymore, but please bear with me, okay? You can't listen to AM radio and FM radio at the same time. You have to choose which radio wave will you tune into on a day-to-day basis. You and I have two different channels. We can choose the flesh. We can choose the spirit. We can't tune into both channels at the same time. We have to tune into one or the other. And I just want you to know today from the bottom of my heart, FM radio leads to death. The Trans Am leads to death. The old beat-up Chevy pickup, it leads to life. The AM radio leads to life. Which one will you choose? We have to choose every day which frequency we'll tune into. Let's bow our heads together today for just a moment. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask you to kind of move your heart Godward today. And I just want to ask you to really be honest with yourself and honest to God. Which frequency are you tuned into most often? AM or FM? AM being the spirit, FM being the flesh. Isn't that cool how that worked out with the F for the flesh, all right? You can think about it that way. The flesh is the FM radio. I want you to think about that today. I want all of us, starting with me, to really ponder which radio station gets the most airtime in our lives, the flesh or the spirit. If you can sit here today and you can say, I can tell, I I just feel the Holy Spirit moving in my heart that the FM radio, the flesh radio is getting too much of my time, too much of my attention. Can you just go before the Lord today and say, Lord, would you just move in my heart in such a powerful way, Lord, that, that I'll tune my heart, Lord, to your spirit, that I'll tune my mind to your spirit today, Jesus. Because Lord, I need life and I need peace. Maybe you're here struggling today, struggling emotionally. You say, Lord, I need life. Lord, I need peace. Which station are you tuning into? I'm gonna be quiet for a couple of minutes. Talk to the Lord about this issue and I'll pray for us and we'll go and we'll worship the Lord before we leave today. Lord, I so much want to be that kind of a man, Father, that is truly walking with you, listening to you, a mind governed by your Spirit. And so, Lord, I just come before you today, and I just pray, Father, that you do that work in my heart and my mind as well. 
And Lord Jesus, I just pray for all of us here today, Lord, that to a greater degree than when we came in these doors, Father, that we could have a life that's governed by your Spirit, a mind set upon the Spirit, not upon the flesh. And Lord, I pray that you'd show us how to work this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.